Welcome back to The Curious Clinicians, a medical podcast that asks why. I'm Hannah Abrams, and I'm joined as always by my co-hosts Tony Brew and Avi Cooper. Hey guys, how you doing? Not too bad, Hannah. Great to see you, Hannah. Great to see you, Tony. So does anyone have anything to plug tonight? So I do. I was hoping to plug a really cool audiobook app called Libby, and it it came up for me, at least in the last year when I've been listening to more audiobooks. And it's actually an app that gives you access to free audiobooks and also free ebooks. And it's tied to your public library access. And so you do have to like wait in line for popular titles because it's, you know, like being at the public library, like somebody could check <laughs> it out. But it's a really, I was, I was spending a lot of money on audiobooks and um, now I don't spend any money on audiobooks. So L I B B Y, it's a great app. That's fantastic. Very cool. Yeah, I, I can imagine that some people who listen to this podcast might also enjoy reading in public libraries. Uh, There's probably some overlap there. Cool. Perhaps. Let us know, listeners. Um, okay, so tonight is the first episode in a two-part series that we're going to call The Eyes Have It. So Avi and Tony are each going to discuss a topic or question that is related to ophthalmology, uh, a bit of a unifying theme, if you will. See what I did there? Uh, The questions have nothing else to do with each other. They are really just about the eyes. And tonight, Avi is going to go first. So Avi, what's the question? So I'm going to be talking about Kaiser Fleischer rings, those kind of infamous ocular rings that are associated with Wilson disease. And have either of you ever actually seen one of these in a patient as non-ophthalmologists? I've seen them in textbooks, but I've definitely never seen one in a patient. Mm-mm. I'm not even sure I've seen a patient with Wilson's disease, but I, I probably have. But yeah, I haven't seen I haven't seen this finding. Yeah, same for me. So I've I've wondered several times if in a patient who I thought might have Wilson disease that there maybe there's like a Kaiser Fleischer ring in the eye there, but it's always been something else like Arcus senilis or um, I don't know. <laughs> like I was just seeing something that wasn't really there. <laughs> so it's it's never for me at least ever been actually a Kaiser Fleischer ring. Yeah, so it might be helpful, Avi, if we start by uh, maybe defining two things. Um, like first, like what Wilson disease actually is. Um, I think met, much of the audience may know, but we can all use a reminder. Um, and then remind us what the Kaiser Fleischer ring is. Yeah, that seems like a reasonable place to start. What are we actually talking about tonight? <laughs> so Wilson disease is an autosomal recessive inherited dysfunction of a copper transporter called ATP7B. And in that situation, copper is unable to be excreted into the bile like it normally would. And instead, it builds up in the liver. And then eventually the copper spills into the blood and deposits in tissues, causes damage. And two of the more common sites that it can deposit and cause problems are the liver and the brain. And that can lead to cirrhosis and neuropsychiatric effects, which are kind of the hallmark and the most dreaded you know, manifestations of Wilson disease. So Kaiser Fleischer rings are dark circles at the periphery of the cornea in patients with Wilson disease. And there are other kind of more, uh, even rarer forms of copper overload that can also manifest this way, but it's it's mainly considered to be pathognomonic for, for Wilson's. And so they usually require a slit lamp to be seen. And so um, until they're kind of more advanced and it, 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 therefore it kind of makes sense that I would wonder if it was present and basically always be wrong um, because it's both, they're hard to see without a slit lamp. And then 
Wilson disease is pretty darn rare. So yeah. So um, who were Kaiser and Fleischer then? <laughs> yeah, and how did they get this ring? Or right who now? was Kaiser right. Fleischer? I guess yeah. <laughs> right. Like, why aren't they called Wilson rings? Yeah. Yeah, so Samuel Kinnear Wilson was a British neurologist, and he described the disorder in its most more complete form, and it bears his name as a result, and that was back in 1912. But Kaiser Fleischer rings, they were actually described about 10 years before that, first in 1902. And so 1902, there was a German physician named Bernhard Kaiser, and he was evaluating a patient that had neurological symptoms and the patient had Wilson disease, but it hadn't been described yet. So Kaiser thought that the patient had multiple sclerosis, but he did note these dark rings on the patient's cornea um, in, in, you know, in the patient's eyes and described it. But in 1903, so a year later, Bruno Fleischer, who was a German ophthalmologist, also described the same thing, corneal rings in a patient with neurological symptoms. But he actually even took the took it a step further and noted cirrhosis when he did the autopsy of the patient because ophthalmologists did autopsies back then, <laughs> um, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> um, and so, and then in 1912, Wilson kind of more fully described the disease that now bears his name. He called it progressive lenticular degeneration, and he also made that crucial connection between neurological symptoms and cirrhosis. And he also noted the inherited nature of it. Um, but I, I was really fascinated to learn that Wilson didn't actually describe corneal rings in any of the patients in his original description, which I think probably suggests that he, he probably missed it. He probably didn't notice that his patients most likely had this, at least some of them did. And um, his his description was 212 pages. So it's a, it's a single paper, was 212 pages in the March 1912 issue of the journal Brain. And so I feel like the fact that it it didn't make it into that article suggests that he missed it. But Yeah, where was yeah, reviewer I number two, right? I imagine that was the right? March 1912, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That was the entire issue. Yeah. I hope that was the entire issue for the readers of, of the journal Brain trying to slog through article number two. Can you imagine 212 pages? Hey, that's how you get something named after yeah. you, I guess, right? Yeah. Let me describe the, something. The, in, the, in 1900s, right. yeah. the, 19, the 1900s were crazy. You've got like ophthalmologists doing autopsies and 212-page journal articles. and <laughs> Chaos. And the amazing thing is that uh, people actually read the paper. <laughs> yeah. That, so um, what actually is going on with Wilson disease that leads to these ring formations? Um, and I ask this with some trepidation because I anticipate we're going to have to review um, anatomy of the eyeball, which <laughs> really makes me nervous. Yeah, it's, I guess... Fortunately or unfortunately, yes, we do need to review ocular anatomy, uh, specifically, at least initially, corneal anatomy, which is something that I either blocked out of my memory from like first year histology or never learned in medical school. Um, but uh, I now know that there are actually five layers in the cornea. So there's an epithelium on the outside, an endothelium on the inside, and then there's Bowman's layer, stroma and decimates membrane in the middle. And so decimates membrane is, is on the inner portion of the cornea, and it's separated from the anterior chamber that has the aqueous humor in it 
it's only by a very thin corneal endothelium. So it's very, very close to that anterior chamber, which contains the aqueous humor. And so pathology studies of the corneas of patients with Kaiser Fleischer rings have revealed that Deschamps membrane is where the, those rings are localized. And what happens is copper gets deposited and kind of precipitates in granules at the periphery of Deschamps membrane. So that is what's going on and what's causing Kaiser Fleischer rings. Got it. Okay, so five layers of the cornea, Deschamps layer is the one that's essentially right near the inside, so up against the aqueous humor uh, in the anterior chamber. And then because there's increased copper in the whole body, some of it gets deposited, I guess, in the cornea, uh, in the Deschamps layer. But yeah, how how does how does it get into the cornea? Like, isn't the cornea supposed to be clear and avascular? Yeah, I had the same exact question when I was learning about this. The cornea is completely avascular. So how did the copper get there if this is a bloodborne problem? And so one clue is that pathological studies of the eyes of patients with Wilson disease found increased copper in the aqueous humor. And so again, recall that aqueous humor in the anterior chamber of the eye is really only separated from, by, from Deschamps membrane by a very thin endothelial layer. So what happens is elevated levels of copper in the blood, you then end up with elevated levels of copper in the aqueous humor. And that the copper then has easy access to Deschamps membrane. It just has to diffuse across the endothelium and, and it'll be able to deposit there. But one thing that didn't quite make sense to me initially was why do you get a ring shape? Why doesn't the whole cornea end up discolored by this copper, right? Like, why is it just the periphery? So what? any thoughts, you guys? You know, even if it weren't the whole periphery, it would at least, you know, by gravity, maybe be on the lower end as opposed to, like you said, on the whole ring. So, that yeah, that doesn't make sense to me. That's such a good question. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't either. And so to answer this question, I had to learn about something that I can honestly say I never thought I would learn about. It was one of those unknown unknowns, <laughs> and that is <laughs> flow dynamics of aqueous humor. Yes, that actually is a thing that has been studied and described, how aqueous humor flows in the eye. <laughs> so you may remember from anatomy that aqueous humor- I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you may or may not remember <laughs> from anatomy that aqueous humor flows from the posterior chamber to the anterior chamber of the eye, and then it drains into something called Schlem's canal. And those Schlem's canal, they're basically at the edges of the chamber. And, um, and you might think that it just flows in there like a river or a creek or something that I kind of thought it would be, but it actually is a swirling configuration where there's almost like a, like an eddy flow or a jet or something that basically takes it to the periphery preferentially of the uh, anterior chamber so that it can drain into Schlem's canal. And so this swirling flow leads to more contact for that copper containing aqueous humor at the edges of the cornea and it preferentially deposits at the periphery. And so that's what gives you this classic kind of circular shape associated with Kaiser Fleischer rings, that's what makes them actually rings. And I, I don't know that this is I don't know that this to be hundred percent true, but I assume that Arcus senilis, which are rings of cholesterol in the cornea in a similar distribution, they probably have the same mechanism because it's just 
cholesterol instead that's being deposited. I thought that was really surprising. Yeah, no. And similarly, once upon a time, this knowledge about the anatomy of the anterior chamber flowed beautifully from some <laughs> professor to me and then back out through Schlem's canal. <laughs> to the <laughs> periphery you of your to the rif- to the periphery of your brain, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've always had like a cataract for this, so I, it, none, none of it ever flowed anywhere for me. Um <laughs> So, but has anyone ever decided to like inject copper into the aqueous humor and look for this, uh, this you know, the flow dynamics that you're describing? Like, do we actually have any evidence that this is what's happening? I don't know about uh, external injections. <laughs> that seems cruel, but um, I did come across a case report that was pretty incredible from 1986. And so, this was a patient who had unilateral ocular trauma to the right eye when he was younger. And so that eye actually made significantly less aqueous humor because of the trauma. The patient then developed Wilson disease later in life, but he only manifested a Kaiser Fleischer ring in the left unaffected eye that made normal amounts of aqueous humor. And so this is actually a a single case report, but a very, very strong support uh, that of the role that aqueous humor and its flow and all that plays in this pathophysiology. That's so cool. <laughs> Unfortunately, unfortunate for this gentleman, but pretty cool. Okay, so does it do, do Kaiser Fleischer rings mean anything? Are they like prognostically significant? Do they tell us anything about the severity of the disease? Yeah, so this was something that I also was kind of surprised to learn, but in retrospect makes a lot of sense that they actually correlate fairly well with the presence of neuropsychiatric symptoms, which are, you know, obviously some of the most dreaded complications of Wilson disease. So more than 90% of patients with neuropsychiatric uh, symptoms have Kaiser Fleischer rings, but only about 50% of those who don't have neuropsychiatric symptoms will have Kaiser Fleischer rings. So it seems to be a marker of risk for and kind of presence of that kind of neuro, those neurological complications. And impressively, they do seem to resolve with chelation therapy. So as the serum copper levels fall, um, the Kaiser Fleischer rings will regress. And again, I, I thought this was also, again, very cool that it was the first thing about the disease that was described. You know, Wilson disease hadn't even been noted to be a thing. Like it was misdiagnosed as multiple sclerosis um, in 1902 but the rings were there and associated with the neurological symptoms. And so, and that is, you know, that is held true as the disease was fully described. And I guess it makes some sense that the, as you just said, that the initial descriptions of these rings back in the early 1900s, if their presence is highly correlative with neuropsychiatric symptoms, that the, the patients that Kaiser and Fleischer described them in were patients who had neuropsychiatric symptoms. If, I, if I'm remembering correctly. And and maybe Wilson in his 200 and some odd page treatise, maybe not all those patients had end stage Wilson. And that's why maybe they didn't have, maybe, maybe he didn't observe them or I, I'm not sure. Yeah. Or maybe he my, wasn't an ophthalmologist, so he didn't have yeah, an exam. Yeah. Yeah. My, my guess is he missed it. I mean, I think yeah. it's just that they're so, <laughs> it's so common in a disease. And, and so I think a lot of, a lot of his patients had neurological symptoms. So yeah. yeah, I mean, if you're saying that greater than 90% have... of patients with neuropsychiatric symptoms right. have them, then right. you have to imagine that a number of his patients did. Right. And again, yeah, he didn't have a slit lamp 
I'm assuming. So, you know, I think we have to give him a break. Uh, but I don't know if you're going to get a disease named after you. Come on. <laughs> you know, it's it's possible that he did describe and write about them and just no one ever read the full 202 pages. Yeah, fair enough. Fair uh, enough. I, I, unless you did. I, sir, I certainly did not. Yeah, it's it's, Im- it's embedded in page one ninety something exactly. Right. He really should have okay. had his. He really should have had his eyes open to that possibility. But yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So, so Avi. yeah, but Avi, before we close out for um, this episode, any take home points you want to offer? Yeah. So you know, Kaiser Fleischer rings result from deposition of copper in, in Deschamps membrane of the cornea in patients with Wilson disease, and they're peripheral and ring shaped because there's swirling flow in the aqueous humor as it enters the anterior chamber of the eye, which then deposits copper at the edges of the cornea. And Kaiser Fleischer rings are associated with the presence of neuropsychiatric symptoms in Wilson disease, and they actually resolve as serum copper levels um, decrease with chelation therapy. And I guess the historical take-home would be that, you know, sometimes disease manifestations are going to be described before the actual disease itself. That's great. Yeah, that's amazing to think about. Like, I've seen so many people with Arcus senilis, and I've never wondered why it, why it's not gravitational, like why it doesn't right. sit at the bottom of the eye. Like, that's just, that's so fascinating. That's that's a big take home for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Avi, that was fantastic. Um, and that actually wraps up this episode um, of The Curious Clinicians. Uh, thanks, as always, for joining us. Um, I've been Tony Brew. And I'm Avi Cooper. And I'm Hannah R. Abrams. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at at CuriousClinPod. You can also join our mailing list at CuriousClinicians.com to stay up to date on episode releases and have the show notes for each episode delivered directly to your inbox. We are excited to partner with VCU Health to offer CME and MOC credits for physicians and other healthcare professionals just for listening to this episode. For more information, please visit ce.vcuhealth.org slash curious clinicians. And as always, the information contained in this episode is for educational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Until next time, we've been the Curious Clinicians.